Well, this, this week we're kicking off a new series, and we're going to do a little mini-series on a guy named Balaam. Uh, and I am, i tell you the truth, I'm really excited about this series. Uh, and what's great about me getting so excited about this series is that I get to choose whatever I want to teach in here. So uh, you guys have to come right along with me. So, so I'm, I'm really pumped uh, about this lesson. I, I, started, I started going through, um, as I was preparing to teach on Ruth, I uh, started going through some other readings throughout the Old Testament. And I kept coming back to this story of a guy named Balaam. And, and this story is going to take place uh, in the Old Testament. It takes place right at the end of the Exodus uh, experience, so kind of right at the end of the 40 years uh, of, of the Israelites you know, being out in the wilderness, right before they go into the Promised Land. We see this story with this guy named Balaam occur. And I, I think the reason I wanted to teach it is because as I read it the first time, I read it and it confused me. And I read it again and it confused me even more. And I read it again, and it still didn't make sense to me. And, and so the more and more I felt like I really needed to dig in to understand God's Word, the more and more I started to peer, peel back the layers of this story, just the more intriguing this story became to me. And so I, I thought, I was like, I'll teach this just for a one-week lesson, just to have a little break in between. And then the more I saw, I was like, no, this, is, this, this has a lot of fantastic biblical truth. So we're going to do this for three weeks. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to just go through this story. I just want you to hear this story as the Bible lays out this story. Uh, we're just going to kind of go through uh, the Old Testament and make sure we understand the story of Balaam well. Uh, and then next week what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at this story through a different perspective. We're going to look at it through the eyes of Balaam himself. We're going to understand what was in his heart, where he did well, where, where he went wrong. Because you see some fairly interesting things happen to this man. And then the last week, we're going to look at this story through the perspective of God. Uh, as best as we can, we're going to try to make sure we really understand why it is that God put this story in the Bible, what he was trying to teach us, what he was trying to teach Balaam, why what happened to Balaam happens to Balaam. Uh, we're going to go through that perspective of God. And as we get to that end of that, that lesson in the third week, we're going to see how God uses this story, which could easily make no sense to us, to really set up a pretty incredible story of Ruth and then David and then Christ uh, later on. So as we get into this story, uh, what I want us to remember were a few of those truths we talked about whenever we did that kind of Old Testament in 45 minutes lesson. So if you remember, the truths we discussed in that lesson were this, is that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, right? There, there's no inconsistency between the two gods. It is one God, one consistent story. Uh, the second truth we talked about is that the Old Testament is a major part of God's plan of redemption, right? And we're going to see that play out here in this story of Balaam. But the third truth we talked about, the one I really want you to pay attention to in this story, is that God never breaks a promise, right? He always keeps his promises, and if you go back to the promise that you see God make Abraham, go back to that original covenant, one thing you see in that promise is that God tells Abraham this. He goes, I will bless you, and I will bless those who bless you. He tells Abraham he's going to make him a father of many nations. And not only will he bless him, but whoever curses him, whoever curses his descendants, he will curse. Right. So I want you to remember that promise from God that I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That's a promise of God that he makes to Abraham. So as we get into this here, 
Uh, you're going to find in your handout today that I am channeling my inner Terry Fakes today. Uh, I, I've got a map in there. Uh, I sent Terry a text message to show him the map. He's so proud. Uh, I actually got confused by this map on Saturday morning, and I started emailing Terry asking for some, some advice on it. Uh, but you're going to see this map. And, and the reason I wanted to show you this map is because we're going to talk about a lot of different people groups that the Israelites start marching through uh, right towards the end of their journey to get into the promised land. And these people groups that we're going to talk about are very important. A lot of them have a lot of history with the Israelites that we need to understand from, from this story. This story, though, of Balaam uh, takes place, and you see two major characters uh, pull out. And I'm going to get to the map here in just a second, but you see two major characters in this story. You're going to see a man named Balak who is the king of a place called Moab. Moab. And if you look on your map, you can see Moab right there towards the top right side of the map. You'll see it kind of inverted on its side, the area of Moab. So Balak is the king of Moab. And you're going to find that Balak gets pretty scared about these Israelites right on his doorsteps. And he calls for a man named Balaam. He calls for a man named Balaam who's, who's from the further north area. And he wants this man named Balaam to come down and to curse all of God's people. He wants to, to, to curse them so that hopefully that will keep him from the Israelites just kind of coming all through and taking over uh, his people, the Moabite people. Moab, this area of Moab, is really important. Right? It's really important. And so I want to start this story today by making sure you guys understand the history of Moab, the history of a couple of these other people groups, and then we're going to get into the actual story that leads into Balaam. Uh, so to start off here, if you look at your blanks, I want to get through all these blanks before we get into the story itself so that as we read the Bible, you understand it. Uh, if, if we go back, Moab can trace back its ancestry all the way back to Abraham's family. So if, if you guys remember, Abraham had a nephew named Lot, and we all know Lot because Lot was associated with what big story in the Bible? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Lot was associated with Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, as, as they're spared from Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the angel says, you know, tells his wife, do not look back. What's his wife do? She looks back. She is no more. Uh, Lot escapes up into the area, into the caves with his two daughters. Uh, and then some pretty weird stuff happens. Some really, really weird stuff happens. So if we go to Genesis chapter 19 for just a second, we see chapter 19, verse 30. It says, now Lot went up to Zoar. And, and his daughters, come, they're talking amongst themselves, and they say, hey, our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come into us after what all has happened. And so both of the daughters concoct this scheme that they're going to get Lot drunk, uh, and they're going to take advantage of him. If, if you can, it, It's a weird story, I know, but it's a true story. It's in the Bible. So in verse 36, it says, thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn daughter of Lot bore a son and called this son Moab. And Moab is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger daughter also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So I just want you to look, if you look in your, on your blanks real quick, that, that first blank would be Moab. The second blank would be uh, the father of the Ammonites to this day. And if you look at your map, right there in the northeast side of that map, you're going to see Moab, and then a little bit further north, the Ammonites. These people groups that we see here are descendants all the way back to Lot. They're associated with that family. 
Uh, this map, just for reference, is really tracing the Israelites' journey through the wilderness all the way up until where they're going to enter into the promised land. So if you look at the promised land right up there next to Jericho, uh, you see that Moab is very, very close to that promised land area. And the Ammonites, uh, who are also descendants from that area, are close to that promised land area. So that's what happened. Uh, that's where Moab and the Ammonites really came from. We're also going to hear about another people group. If you see on your map, you see another uh, little area called Edom, E-D-O-M. So now Edom also can trace back his lineage all the way to Abraham. So Abraham had two sons, the oldest son Ishmael and then his son Isaac. The blessing passed to the younger son Isaac. Isaac then had two sons. He had the older son Esau and the younger son Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. Jacob has 12 sons. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But that first son was a man named Esau. And the Bible also calls him Edom, Edom, E-D-O-M. So when you see Edom here on the map, you can, you can trace all that people group back to Esau, back to Abraham, right? So we need to understand this as we go throughout this story. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up my Bible, and this story is pretty long. So I've highlighted different sections of the story I really just want to read through today. I want to make sure we leave here today all with a very good understanding of what the Bible tells us happens in this story with Balaam and Balak and all and, and God's people. And like I said, the next week we're going to get into this through the perspective of Balaam, uh, and then we're going to get into, into it with the perspective of God. So if you can, turn in your Bibles with me, uh, and just in case you want to take any notes as we go, and turn back into the Old Testament into Numbers chapter 20. And we're going to start in Numbers chapter 20, verse 14. And where this story picks up, Moses has just struck the rock. You know, he's not very happy with the people. Miriam, his wife, has died. He struck the rock. He's angry. Uh, and, but they are marching north. They are marching up towards the promised land. So they are getting towards the end of that 40-year journey. And so Numbers chapter 20, verse 14 says this. It says, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel. And he goes on, he says, Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We're going to go alongside the king's highway. Uh, we will, we're not going to turn aside to the left or to the right. He's saying, him, he's saying to Edom, you know, please just let us pass through. We're not going to mess up the place. We're not going to attack you. We just want to get through your land. But Edom says, Edom going all the way back to Esau, says, you shall not pass through lest I come out with a sword against you. And so because of that, because Edom is not letting the Israelites pass through, the Israelites have to walk around Edom. So if you, if you look there on your map, the Israelites had a kind of a straight shot up into the promised land, but because the Edomites won't let them pass, they have to go around. They have to go around uh, to another way. So we keep reading through here in the, in the chapter in Numbers. We'll get to the next page. And what we find is, make sure I've got this right. What we find then, if we get to chapter 21, as the Israelites are walking around Edom, uh, they, they get introduced to this Canaanite king named Arid. And verse tw- or chapter 21 says this, When the Canaanite king, Arid, who lived in the Negev, the desert area there, heard that Israel was coming, he fought against Israel, and he took some of them captive. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel. Israel's like, hey, let us go and, 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 and take on these guys. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel, and he allowed the Canaanites to be taken over and to be, and to be just you know, taken over by the Israelites. So if you see there in the verse, it says, they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So this is like military victory number one in this story, right? The 
King Arid, uh, King of Arid, is is taken over. The Israelites conquer this area. So we keep going through, and we go to chapter twenty-one, verse eleven, and we see that the Israelites are, are on the move here. It says they set out uh, in the wilderness, and they and they set out opposite Moab uh, toward the sunrise. And from there they set out and they camp on the other side of the Arnon River, which you can see the Arnon River right there on your map, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites, um, for the Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. So I just want you to get, you a, get a sense of where the people are right now. They're right up there. If you look at that circle I have, that second middle circle, they're right up there just looking down on Moab, uh, sitting out in that area right they haven't gotten all the way up to the Ammonites. They're right there on the border of Moab and the Amorites. And so then we see a pretty cool thing happen. So if you go to verse 21, we see this story about how King Sihon gets defeated. It says, Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying the same thing they said to Edom. Let us pass through. We're, you know, we're not going to go to the left or the right. We're not going to mess up your vineyards. We're not going to do all these different things. We're not going to attack you. Just let us pass through. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. He gathered all his people together and went out against Israel to the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against them. And Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as to the Ammonites. For the border of the Ammonites was strong. And Israel took these cities and they settled in the cities um, and, and, and and from Heshbon was the city of Sihon for the king of the Amorites who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all of his land out of his hand as far as, as, far as the Arnon. So what, it, what we see here happen is not only do the Israelites take over the Amorites here, not only do they defeat them in battle, but we see in this story that the Amorites and the Moabites have some history, right? The Amorites had previously defeated the Moabites and that's how they had that territory to begin with. And it hadn't been that long ago, we'll talk about this a little bit next week, but it hadn't been that long ago that the Amorites defeated the Moabites in this battle. So now you've got the Israelites who have come and they've defeated these Amorites, right? They've defeated these Amorites. And the Amorites were a pretty proud people. If you look here in the text, they kind of had a ballad that they sang after they had defeated the Moabites. And one of the words in that ballad says this, it says, Woe to you, O Moab, you are undone, O people of Shamash. Uh, which was the god that they worshipped at the time. Uh, so, so now just imagine uh, what's happening right here. You know, you, if, if, imagine that you are Balak, the king of Moab. Uh, you've seen these Israelites, this horde, come out of Egypt, and you've seen them defeat two pretty big militaries. And, and not only do they defeat two militaries, they've just defeated the guys who just kicked your butt in battle, right? And they, and they are right on your doorstep. So how would you feel if you were the king of Moab and you see all these people out there who seem to have military prowess and seem to be able to do just about whatever they want to as they're marching through? How would you feel? Feel like going on vacation. Feel like going on vacation somewhere, yeah. Feel like me whenever I have someone walk up to me in church and says, hey, are you the guy who runs facilities, right? I mean, I want to walk out of there because there's, there's normally not a good comment that's going to come after, hey, are you the guy who runs, right? So, um, so no, you're, they're not excited at all. They're scared to death. They're absolutely scared to death. Uh, then, then so, the, so they're getting pretty, pretty scared. The, the Moabite king is getting pretty scared at this point. And then something even crazier happens. If we go to verse 31 of chapter 21 of Numbers, uh, we see that now that the Israelites have defeated the Amorites, 
uh, they lived in their land. Then they turned and they went up to the way to Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, came out against them. And the same thing happens. Israel defeats uh, the king uh, of Og, or King Og. He defeats them. They, they, there's no survivors left. They, they take over all of their land. And you're like, man, I mean, this is a pretty big deal. And this whole deal with, with this guy named Og is a much bigger deal than you might originally think as you read this text. Because if we go into, the, uh, book, if we go into Deuteronomy, what we find about this guy named Og is that he was a descendant of the Rephaim which meant he was a descendant of the giants. So, you know, kind of the, the really tall people. These, these guys were big in stature. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy tells us how big his bed is just to help us understand just how tall and mighty this king was who was leading these people. So these people should not have been defeated, right? And, and Israel actually marches north to go and defeat him. He's not even really in their way to, 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 in a major way. And so if you're, if you're Balak, king of Moab at this point in time, you know, like, man, they, they got Og, right? I mean, so, so we're, we're just, we are completely, completely out of luck here. What's interesting, though, is that Balak is so scared. I mean, he's absolutely scared, but he actually had no reason to be scared at all. Because remember, Moab is a descendant of the same family that Abraham and all these guys came out of. And we actually find in, um, uh, in the Bible that God had instructed his people to avoid any harmful contact with the Edomites, the people from descendant from, from Esau. He had told them not to have any harmful contact with the Moabites or with the Ammonites. You can go to Deuteronomy and you can see this, these instructions given. So Israel, if they had wanted to go through Moab, they would have done the same thing they did whenever they were going through Edom. They would have said, hey, can we come through? We're, we're just walking through. We're not going to go to the left. We're not going to go to the right. You know, Israel, is, they know they're not allowed to attack these people groups that came from their uncles and or all this, this long, long lineage uh, of, of the people of Abraham. But regardless, uh, they are very, very scared. The last people group you're going to see in this story is a group called the Midian, Midianites. And you see in your third bullet there, when Sarah passed away, Abraham had another wife, and one of the children he had was a child named Midian. And so the people of the Midianites are, are uh, descendants of, of that person. And so same thing there. Even the Midianites at this point in time were pretty much protected because they were associated with that, with that covenant from God where he's saying, do not go and have any harmful contact with these people. So let's pick back up in our story, and I want you to get a sense real quick before we go on of where we are. Like I said, we're up here right outside this area of Moab, right in that second circle. Uh, the Israelites have defeated so many people. They're not leaving survivors. I mean, this is, this is pretty crazy stuff that's occurring. Moab is scared to death, right? The king of Moab, Balak, is absolutely scared to death. So, what, so this, is, this gets into the story of Balaam. Balak's solution for this is, he goes, these people seem like they are prosperous. It seems like they've got some blessing from God. There's something supernatural going on here. So I'm going to call a friend. Like, I've got my lifeline. I'm going to call a friend who seems to have some pretty cool powers. And he's going to come down and curse you. And he's going to take care of this for me. That's, that's how he's going to solve this problem. So if you go to Numbers chapter 22, it says, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Moab, who, so Balak, leader of Moab, said to the elders of Midian. So Midian, you see in your map, the Midianites are right there to the east of Moab. 
that Balak has gone over to the elders of this people group and said, hey, you've seen what's happened all around us. We better team up here or else you know, we're all in trouble. So Balak goes to the elder of Midian and he says, this horde is now going to lick up all that is around us, just like the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor. And this is what the messengers tell to Balaam. It says, come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I should be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. I want you to tuck that away for a minute. Remember, remember the promise that God made to Abraham, right? He said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Who's got the power of that blessing? God does, right? But Balak is saying, Balaam, he goes, I know that you are so powerful that whom you bless will be blessed and whom you curse will be cursed. If you keep going through the story, uh, Balaam is way up north and the messengers come to him and give him this proposition. And then God himself comes to Balaam and he says, who are these men that are with you? And Balaam says to God, this is Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab. And God tells Balaam, he goes, you shall not go with these men. He's saying, I don't want you going back down and cursing my people. You shall not go with them. You shall not curse these people, for they, they are blessed. And so Balaam, you know, he rises early in the morning. He has asked this contingent of people who have come from Moab to spend the night with him. Uh, he tells them that God speaks to him at night. And so they spend the night. He wakes up in the morning, and he's pretty much saying, hey, guys, sorry. God tells me I can't go with you. You know, can't do it. So he sends them back on their way. So th- these people get back to Balak. They tell Balak that Balaam's not coming. And Balak goes, well, no, that's just not going to work. So he sends more honorable princes and more money and all these different things to entice Balaam to come down and curse God's people. Uh, but to Balaam's credit, uh, he, 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 he receives these new messengers and he says this. He goes, though Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. You've got to kind of hand it to the guy. I mean, he's getting everything he could ever ask sent to him. But he's saying, God's telling me not to go with you guys, so I'm just not going to do it. And then in verse 20, it says, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If, the men, if these men, these new men who have come up uh, to, to get you again, he goes, If these men have come to you to call you, rise and go with them, but only do what I tell you to do. Only do what I tell you to do. So Balaam gets up the next morning. He gets on his donkey. He saddles his donkey, which becomes a very important part of the story. We'll talk about that in a minute. He gets on his donkey, and he uh, goes down with the princes of Moab. So just to refresh here, Balaam is the answer for Moab, right? He's going to go and curse God's people. Uh, God comes to Balaam uh, and says, do not do this. And he, he agrees. They come again, and he says, all right, go ahead and go with them, but only do what I tell you to do. So they're getting ready to head out on their journey. Balaam, we, we, we don't know much about him, but we know that the Bible calls him a, a, a diviner. So he was someone who, from the pagan rituals, would be used to come in and prophesy and do these different things. You can, you can almost think of Balaam as like a controversion of Moses at this point in time. He's being called in to kind of do the exact opposite of how Moses is leading God's people. But we do believe he is speaking to the real God, that our God is the one who is telling him, either go with these people or don't go with these people in this story. So, Balaam gets up, God's told him to go with the people, he gets up, he saddles his donkey, uh, and he gets on the road. Then the next verse, the very next verse says this, verse 22, says, But God's anger was kindled because he went. 
And the angel of the Lord took his stand in his way as his adversary. Does anyone feel like they've had this conversation with their wife before? Um, it's like, I, I told you you could go, but you went. It's kind of like, well, you said you didn't care, right? And, and, and she's like, well, no, I don't care does not mean go ahead and go. So I kind of feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm empathizing with Balaam here for a minute. God says, go ahead and go, just do what I tell you to do. And then his anger is kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in his way. That was confusing point number one for me, right, uh, in this story. And we're going to get to that. I want you to read this story, though, as the Bible tells this story. And if you end up as confused as I did at the end of this, that's okay. We're going to unpack this. So God's anger is kindled. Then in verse 7, we see what happens with this poor donkey. It says, Then the donkey saw that there's this angel of the Lord standing in the way. And the donkey laid down underneath Balaam. And so Balaam doesn't see the angel of the Lord at this point in time, but the donkey does. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she, the donkey, said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. Doesn't it seem like there's more going on between Balaam and this donkey than, than uh, what you read in this story? There is. We'll get to that next week. And i got to say this. You're going to feel bad for the donkey. Uh, anyway, so we keep on going through here. So this donkey is on the ground. God is using the donkey to talk to Balaam. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty crazy thing in itself. And then verse 31 says, Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. And the angel of the Lord tells Balaam, he goes, Had your donkey not turned aside and done what it done, I would have killed you. Right? I mean, he was that serious about being angry that he's on his way doing what he's doing. And so Balaam goes, well, Look, I, I don't know what I did. This is kind of the conversation you have with your wife right now, too. It's like, I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. You know, it, it's, uh, it's, so if, if I was... If I was not supposed to do this, if this was evil in your sight, I'm going to turn back. I'll turn back. I'll, I'll go back home. Just tell me right now. It's pretty much what he's telling the angel of the Lord. I'll, I'll go back home. And the angel of the Lord says, no, no, no. Go with the men, but speak only the word that I will tell you. If you were Balaam, wouldn't you just be like, okay, I guess, I guess, I guess I'll go. So, so Balaam goes ahead and he starts going. But he's got those instructions again from God. He says, only do what I tell you to do. So verse 38 says, Balaam said to to Balak, whenever he gets there, when he gets to the king of Moab, he says, behold, I have come to you. Uh, Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. So he's pretty much telling Balak, he goes, I know why you brought me here. I know what you want me to do. I know what you want me to say. But look, I can't say anything that God has not given me to say. So just know that up front before we go and do what we're getting ready to go do. So Balak goes, yeah, 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 I I understand whatever you say about your God. You know, he's really not concerned about that. He wants Balaam to come and curse God's people. And so we we get to to chapter 23. And Balaam and Balak go through this deal where, where they go up to this spot and they're overlooking uh, this scene. And Balaam says, you know, set up these seven altars and they do these sacrifices. And he goes, I'm going to go over there and see if God will come to me and tell me what it is he wants me to say. In verse 4 of chapter 23 it says, And God met Balaam. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak and thus you shall speak. And so what we're going to find here is some real, a, a section of three oracles and then a fourth, 
right? And these oracles are words that God himself puts in Balaam's mouth and tells him to speak back to, king, to Balak, the king of Moab. And so I've just highlighted a few passages in these oracles that I want us to hear today. We're going to get into these oracles in depth in week three so you can really understand what God is trying to tell us here. But I just want you to get a sense of what Balaam has to say because of what God puts in his mouth. So he says this in the first oracle. He says, come. He says, Balak has told me to come, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. But how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. And Balaam looks at Balak looks at Balaam is like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing, man? I mean, I, I told you to come and curse them and you've just blessed these people, right? You've absolutely blessed them. And Balaam, to his credit, comes back and he goes, Look, I told you, must I not speak whatever the Lord puts in my mouth? That's all I can do. I told you this may happen. And so Balak goes, All right, I understand. Well, let's, let's go to a different spot, right? And maybe you can curse the people from there. And so we see Balaam's second oracle. Uh, and I'm going to start reading in verse 16 of chapter 23. It says, And the Lord met Balaam again and put a word in his mouth and said, And here's some highlights from that second oracle. He goes, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. God has brought these people out of Egypt, for there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Behold, a people, a lioness, it rises up. As a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Now, Balak is even more upset at this point in time because not only has he blessed the people, but he's pretty much saying, he goes, oh, these people are blessed, but, but you stand in their way and they're going to be drinking your blood. I mean, the, 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 you're going to be defeated. This is, this is not good for Moab, right? Not good at all for Moab. And so then Balak goes, look, one last try. We're going to go up to this third spot. And on this spot, you're going to be overlooking all the tents of Israel. All these people camped out in these plains. You're going to see them. And maybe, just maybe, then you can do what I want you to do. Then you can curse God's people. And so verse 2 of chapter 24, Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And he says, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. The king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries. He shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. And then he says this. He goes, blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. He, God gives him the word that he had already gave Abraham. He's making it very clear. I am God. There is no one who's going to be blessed or cursed without my authorization. These are my people, right? And so he keeps going down, and Balak, Balak at this point in time is just mad. It says Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse the enemies, and behold, you've blessed them three times. And Balaam again, he says, look, he goes, look, I'm not going to be able to do anything that goes beyond the word of the Lord, to either do good or bad of my own will, what the Lord speak." That I will speak. And so then Balak says, look, go your own way. Just go your own way. Go home. I was going to give you money. I was going to give you a house full of silver and gold. I was going to do all kinds of things for you. Just go your own way. Let's just depart. 
And Balaam, as Gary goes on the way, Balak's getting ready to go the other way, and Balaam kind of turns back to him and he goes, hey, I've got one more thing that's come to me. And like I said, I mean, this, these are God's words coming out of his mouth. And, and Balaam says this in this fourth oracle. This fourth oracle is, is a bit of a prophecy of the kingdom to come, a bit of a prophecy of even the Messiah. But he says this, he goes, I see him now, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons. And then Balaam is, Balaam, Balak is just done at this point in time. Uh, 15 minutes, yeah. So Balaam is just, Balak, sorry, is just done at this point in time. And then they go back their own ways. So that's all the interchange we see in this story between Balaam and Balak, right? That's the entire conversation that they have. So now here's where this thing starts getting a little confusing for me. Just, just past the donkey talking, past the whole go, don't go, all this thing. Let me tell you what happens to, to these people right after this story. So in chapter 25, uh, it talks about what happens to the Israelites right after this occurs. It says, when Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These, pe- these women invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So what's happened is these people, the Israelites, are out here in this area. They've got some time on their hands. There's some women who have some pre- these pretty cool um, rituals, pagan rituals, where they're getting to go to orgies and all these different things. And the guys are like, well, this seems like a pretty good idea. And so they, they go and do that, and these women lead these people astray. So we see this happen. And God is not too thrilled with this. I mean, let's think about this from God's perspective for just a second. He's just led these people on these incredible military campaigns. He has stood up to the person who's trying to curse them, right? They're getting ready to enter into the promised land. He is using these people to redeem all of humanity, right? Just all that's on the line. And then they go and they do this. Right, God's not very happy with these people that they did it. A number of things happen, uh, and pretty much there's a plague that goes through to, uh, to punish these people. 24,000 people die of the plague. So that's Numbers chapter 25. Then a lot of other things happen in the Bible, and we get to Numbers chapter 31. And I want you to see what happens to Balaam. So real quick, before I, actually before I get to Balaam, let's just a little open conversation here for a second. Balaam seems like a pretty decent guy right now, right? I mean, seems like he's done all right. He's, 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 he hasn't taken the money. He's done what God said. He, when, when, when God was mad, he said, I'll go back. You know, it seems like he's done some pretty good things here and been pretty faithful to what God was asking him to do. At least how, when I read the text, that's definitely how I read the text. Here's what happens to Balaam. This is how Balaam's story ends. So in, in chapter 31 of Numbers, God is giving Moses one last task. Remember, God, Moses does not get to go into the promised land. And God says, before your people are able to go into the promised land, and before you're taken away, he goes, I've got one last task for you. He goes, all of those women of Moab and the Midianite women who are a part of that, we need, vengeance must be executed on those people before my people will go into the promised land. So he tells Moses, he goes, I want you to get troops together, and we're going to go in, and we're going to attack these people. And remember, these people, the Moabites and the Midianites, these were people who God had told. He goes, on your own, unless there's anything, you know, don't, don't go and harm these people. So he's telling them, like, they have crossed the blessing of my people. I want you to go and, and seek vengeance on them. 
So Moses goes and he arms the men for the war, and they go up against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance. And verse 7 of, of chapter 31 says, They warred against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian and the rest of their slain. It says, uh, the rest of their slain, Evi, Rakim, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. They killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. And, and then down in verse 15 it says, Moses said to them, uh, have you let all the women live? Behold, these women, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherous, treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregations of the Lord. So something happens in this story, right? I mean, like, something happens here that we're not figuring out. And Balaam seems like just the hero of this story. And all of a sudden, he gets killed, and, and there seems to be a reason. He's done something that has angered God. We saw that on the road with the whole donkey episode, right? There's something else happening here that we're not quite seeing. And this isn't just some small story in the Bible that never gets referenced again. This gets referenced three times in the New Testament. So in Jude chapter 11, uh, we hear them say, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. In 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, he says, they counted his pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions. While they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have turned hearts away in greed. Accursed children forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. I mean, like, man, just strong words, right? And then lastly, Jesus himself mentions Balaam in the book of Revelation. Whenever he is giving instructions, sending the letters to the seven churches, uh, he, in the letter to the church in Pergamum, in chapter 2 of Revelation, it says this, Jesus, these are his words, it goes, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my father's witness, uh, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so they may eat food, sacrifice to idols, and to practice sexual immorality. So, Balaam becomes a pretty notable character, even in the New Testament. And so what I want you guys to just talk about for a couple minutes, because we're about out of time, I want you to talk about a couple minutes at your table. There's something here we're missing, right? There's something we're missing. For us to understand what it is God's trying to tell us in the story, it feels like to me something is missing. So I was going to talk at your table. What do you do when you're reading your Bible and you come across those moments where you just don't understand something that is in the Word of God? How do you handle that? So talk about your tables for just a minute. We'll, we'll regroup here in about two minutes. All right, so let me, let me pull us back in for a second uh, just before we wrap up. And, and you know, I asked you a question about what do you do when you're confused about a text in the Bible? Like how do you deal with that when something doesn't make sense? But before you can even be confused by a text in the Bible, what's the one thing you actually have to do first? You have to read it, right? I mean, you have to read it. I mean, it's, it actually is... is um, 
I mean, we, we'd be shocked by how, how sometimes it's just we, we, we get memes on social media, we come to church. I know a number of you guys are in a lot of Bible studies, and that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, we want to do that together here. But there's something God does with you when you're just alone with him reading the word. And I know the Bible, when you pick it up and you start reading it, it can feel very overwhelming. It's very understandable. Uh, I would just give one advice. If you take any just application out of this lesson today when we're just trying to tell this story, one thing I would really highly encourage as we go through the Old Testament, if you're not on a reading plan right now, get on a reading plan. And I would recommend a chronological reading plan. You can Google chronological reading plan, and you can find all kinds of things. If you go on Uversion, um, you can find chronological reading plans. If you go on our app, I suspect uh, there's a little Bible button Gene's added, and there's reading plans on there that I guarantee you that link into Uversion for chronological reading plans. So chronological is fantastic because it'll slice and dice the Old Testament and New Testament in a way to help you just tell the story from start to finish. Uh, for me, going through the Old Testament, chronological, it's hard to go through the Old Testament <laughs> especially if you're not very familiar with it, without going through chronologically. So I'd, I'd recommend that. So that's step number one. You have to read it. So then step number two, what do we do whenever we get confused by text? You know, what were some of the things that got thrown out in your discussion? Call Cole Fakes. Call Cole Fakes. That always worked for me. Yep, call Cole Fakes. I still do that. Yep. I was joking, but serious. I keep reading. Yep, keep reading. Just, just like that. It's, it's six chapters later, you hear Balaam again, yep. and you're like, oh, and you start to put the pieces together. That's exactly right. I think that's a great, because that's, that's exactly what I did on this one. I'm going, what in the world happened here? So you keep reading, you go through, you get to chapter 31, you get another piece of the puzzle, right? Yep. I make notations at the time, explaining yep. that I don't understand it, and it's going to be that, whatever. And then I drop it, and I come back a year later when I'm on my next reading yep. plan, and sometimes I go, boy, I was just full of crap. And yep. sometimes I go, oh, well, maybe I've got a different idea, or maybe I scratched my head, so I'm still lost. And I, th- I think... I think what, you're exactly right. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you might just not get something. And what I really encourage you here is if you get to those points, and especially if you can feel you're kind of convicted by you don't understand it, that's one reason why we have pastors and teachers around this church all the time. Utilize the people, the resources God has given us at our church, right? If you can't get a hold of a pastor, you let me know because that's a problem here at our church, right? So, so I want you guys to utilize the people God has given us to help instruct and equip uh, and shepherd the flock that we have. Uh, that's part of what we do. But keep digging, keep reading, keep understanding. Write down your questions, come back to it. Uh, what you'll find is that normally, on the things you don't understand, it would be easy to sit there and take the world's understanding and put it in the Bible and try to reverse back to whatever the world is thinking. That must be what the Bible is trying to tell me whenever you don't understand something. But normally, if you just say, okay, God, tell me what you're trying to explain to me, you're going to find this entire understanding that you did you were not expecting that is deeper more consistent more wise more beautiful more grace-filled you look at jeff's lesson from last week right i've read that passage so many times and i never got what he explained last week in the way that the wrath was averted the way a substitute was provided how that got back to abraham how that that looks forward to the cross right there's, there's all kinds of wisdom in the Bible that God gives us that we don't necessarily see on that very top layer. Keep digging into it. And it's really important, especially in the story of Balaam. So next week, what we're going to do, like I said, I hope everyone leaves here a little confused today. I don't normally like that in our Bible lessons, but I want you to all leave a little confused, a little unsettled, a little feel like, what in the world is going on here? I promise you this, at the end of our lesson next week, you're not going to like Balaam. 
you're going to agree this guy needed to die. And I'm telling you, you're going to you're going to really feel bad for his donkey. So so we're going to we're going to talk about Balaam next week. We're going to understand his sin. We're going to understand what occurred. Uh, and then we're going to culminate this because God reveals something incredible about himself in this story that I can't wait to teach you guys. So, so come back next week. If anyone you know misses this week, it's probably a pretty important thing to listen to this lesson before we get to next week. So if you go to, real quick on the app, just before you leave, I just want to show people where this is. If everyone pulls out your phone real fast, if you've got the app downloaded, there's a little button at the bottom that's called Worship and Grow. And in there you see all of our teaching series. And you've got Terry, you've got Andy, you've got Cliff Sanders, you've got Steve Seaton. The one on the very bottom is kind of our other category for all the B-team pastors. So, so um, if you click on that, what you'll find is that we've got a collection of a lot of our different teachings we have. And the one that says Northside Men's Bible Study is us. So each week as we, um, as we load these, you can do it. So check that out for anyone who wasn't here. Make sure they listen to that before they come next week. It'll be a kind of uh, important thing to hear. I'll try to recap it, though, before we uh, get into it. Let me uh, pray for us, and we'll get out of here today. Father, thank you again for these men. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that your word is not flawed. Nothing that you have told us is flawed. Your promises are true. Uh, and when we don't understand your word, Father, we ask that we would pray to you, that you would help us understand it, that you would guide us, that you would send people to instruct us, uh, because we want to understand who you are and your wisdom, because we know that you are the true source of all wisdom. Uh, please help us go out into our world and be great ambassadors for you, just like the example of Tom Webb that you've given us all to learn from. Uh, we thank you for a life well lived from that man, and we hope that we can all be uh, but examples uh, of, of what he has set for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.